Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Allison DeFord. She's the founder at Felt Marketing for Manufacturers since 1994. Allison, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Tads. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> now, you, since I talked to you last, I know that you've, well, you've been doing a lot of podcasting late. Tell me a bit about that. Like, how'd you get into podcasting for yourself? Great question. I decided. This year was going to be the year that I do, can I cuss on this show? (laughs) (laughs) That I do shit that scares me, that I don't know how to do. And because it's all about growth. And so for about a year and a half prior to this, I'd been talking with my colleague from Chicago, Ray Zaganto. And I said, dude, we need to start a podcast. And he said, okay, what do, why, what are we going to do this on? You know, there are so many, why does the world need one more? And I said, well, in the manufacturing world, of course, there's making chips, which is awesome. And they have an amazing audience. And then there's manufacturing happy hour with our new buddy, Chris Lukey. And I said, but I don't see anybody having courageous conversations about sales and marketing for manufacturers. I said, We have these conversations, but it's like, we talk about stuff that's in our head that only people are thinking, not, not saying. And he said, oh my gosh, let's do it. So literally did not know how to build a podcast. And I followed Gary Vaynerchuk, his model, and just really bootstrapped it together. And it has ended up being one of the smartest marketing moves growth moves that I've ever done in 30 years. Awesome. So you mentioned courageous conversations. So, I, you know, we're a manufacturer. We talk to people in the building materials and the coding industry. What conversations are people not having? What are those conversations you're referring to? Excellent question. I would say first and foremost, taking action and doing it quickly. There are, this industry is generally about 10 years behind when it comes to marketing and especially marketing that supports sales and sales growth. So that's what we identified a long time ago that it was, was the lack of speed, right? Because there's either too many cooks in the kitchen trying to make decisions or they're afraid to make the wrong move, afraid to say the wrong thing afraid to take a stand and have a personality. And so if I can help a manufacturer with one thing, I would say it's finding your voice and saying something that will matter to the people who care. Hmm. Yeah, no, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, I love marketing and a lot of the value of, of marketing is being early on stuff or being first in some cases. And by the time there's a lot of social proof, a lot of the value 
of the marketing and the tactics are kind of sort of to leave <laughs> that thing. And, and I guess if you're very conservative, you, you don't see that value. It's true. And I think you just hit the nail on the head. I started talking to manufacturers 20 years ago about the, you need a website. And I got feedback like, well, that's a fad. So why do we need to waste money on that? Or our customers aren't online. And I said, they're going to be, and you need to be there. Well, guess what? Now you, it's hard to do business without a good website, right? Because that is your business digitally 24, seven, three, six, five. The second thing that I brought up to people 10 years ago, you need to dive into social media. You need to start creating these conversations with people leading the conversation, right? Cause it's happening with or without you. No contractors aren't on social media. Architects aren't on social media. Why would we need to do that? So there's always this resistance that we run into in this industry. And I find it challenging because again, it's similar to what my experience has been this year, right? Do what scares you. So you don't have to know how to do it, but you have to trust instinctually that, hey, a professional, and and I'm not the only one (laughs) preaching this, look around right? Look at what people are doing in other industries or in B2C. There's a lot of social media activity happening. Maybe we should give that some consideration and actually jump in the ring. So you may not get it right, but, and I always say, you don't have to, what's the saying? Anyway, it's, it's start something, you know, start where you are, use what you have, and then go from there. That's what adjusting is along the way. That's the best part of marketing. The smartest thing you can do is keep adjusting and be that whole skate to where the puck was going to be. That has never rang more true than it does today, Mm. you know, because your customers are constantly evolving. And as we've seen in the last seven months, good God, we've evolved in three to four years in seven months. So if you're still resisting, now you're even farther behind. Yeah. So what I found or what I'm trying to promote is more entrepreneurship and especially building materials and sort of manufacturing related to that. Now, I have found that there hasn't been as much entrepreneurship as I see in other industries. Why do you think that's the case? What's your theory behind that? Well, I have a theory and I don't know that everyone will agree with me. It feels like there was more entrepreneurship 50 years ago. Mm. Right. And the reason I say that is because most of the manufacturing clients that I work with or that I even know of or admire are 50 plus years old. Mm. And the thing that I love the most about them was generally a founder who saw a need to solve a problem that didn't yet exist, either for himself or herself mm-hmm. or for their for contractors, for building material people. And so what did they do? They invented it. Like Ben Garrett is the founder of client of ours, Mission Rubber Company. And he realized that there wasn't a particular coupling that existed to connect clay pipe. So he invented it and patented it. And and that's the story of every amazing manufacturer that I work with or that I, like I said, that I love it's that story of, of bootstrapping, of 
creating something from nothing. And I think you're right. I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurship happening in tech, in healthcare, in a lot of different verticals. But I don't know, maybe I, maybe I should flip the table and ask you, what do you think? Because I would love to know. My best theory is that I'm, I'm going to compare it to hockey in Canada. In Canada, creates a lot of hockey players, mainly because it has a lot of attention through the media and sort of a lot of national pride associated to it. So there's a lot of focus on it. I think in Australia, sports is very good because there's a focus on it. There's a culture around promoting it. And I think like, exactly, you know, people that are 50 or 50 years ago, the prominent thing that was making the newspaper was manufacturing materials, whereas now a lot of this stuff is dominated by the next technology company. So attention and sort of fame and all the things that go into that uh, kind of is sort of drawing all the smartest people towards that. So I feel like that the sort of sort of physical materials and manufacturing kind of get left behind in terms of the venture uh, capital and all the other stuff. So that's my theory, but I could be wrong. I agree wholeheartedly. And you know what? That is one of the reasons that the manufacturer is the hero of, of the felt story. And I think of yours too. The fact that you are making a positive impact on the building materials and coatings industry as a manufacturer. That's what I love about you and the fact that you started this podcast and your blog is you are elevating the voice, the presence, the popularity, the cool factor of manufacturing. And that's, that's what I want to do as well, because I believe in it so much. I think it's the backbone of our country. I, it may sound corny to some younger people and I may sound old, but I really feel like the the stories and the innovation and the passion is happening inside this industry. And I want to take it out into the world so that people can see it and hear the stories too. Cause I feel like not enough, the volume needs to be turned up because it is, there's so much happening and it's so exciting. Like every day I see a new story or a new part being invented or young people figuring out, hey, this is a really cool place to be. I'm so excited to be here. I want all young people to know this is possible. Yeah, you said something really <laughs> sort of insightful there. You said trying to make it cool. I'm not, oh, exactly, was it trying to make it cool? I just, we were in this area and I needed guidance because I had, like you, I had a marketing agency back in the day and I was doing all these launches and consumer products and tech and industrial but when i got into building materials and and especially coatings it was a lot more complicated than a lot of the other industries and i came in unprepared and i took a bunch of face plants and i know you're doing great work in the area i know mark and your partner i think ray is doing great work in the area but i needed sort of more education on my part and this sort of podcast or the stuff i've been doing is helping me more than anything to sort of become more educated and sort of at the same time, try to be a resource and promote entrepreneurship. So I was just trying to solve my own problem. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I am doing the same thing. I feel like 
I have learned that lesson in creating a podcast and, and putting myself out there because I think when you first start it, you think it's about you sharing, telling, inspiring. I feel like it's been the opposite. Just what you said. I have absorbed so much from meeting so many amazing people and hearing their story. And, and it's, you realize real quickly, you don't know what you don't know. And so tune in, tune in and really listen. And I think that's one thing that manufacturers can learn as well. And I preach this from the rooftops all the time in my LinkedIn posts and in our podcast is listen and see what's happening outside of the industry and learn from it because it's all right there. It's like school and it's free. But if you're not looking, then you can't see. And if you're not listening, you won't hear. So then why are you going to do anything different? Mm. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of sort of recordings where I come in and after the conversation, I feel different. Now, can you sort of recall certain episodes or certain people you brought on the show that you sort of were kind of after the episode, you were like, wow, that was a great story or I learned something very powerful. Can you sort of share with us some, some stories that you have on that? Yes. Gosh, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> there's three that stand out and I'll tell you why really quickly. One is Kurt Anderson, who is the founder of B2Btail.com, like retail, but B2Btail. Okay. He is the e-commerce expert for manufacturers. And he enlightened me and Ray because we thought e-commerce was something different. And Kurt will show you that it is, in fact, something that every manufacturer should be taking advantage of and why. So I would recommend people check out that episode. The second one was with Darren Mitchell from Trout River Industries up in Canada. This guy is a powerhouse. He, this is a small company in a super small little town on an island. And he is broadcasting to the world and getting their attention with these simple videos, with doing, again, doing things he doesn't know how to do. And he's, he's doing it. He's leading. And gosh, that episode just knocked me off, you know, on, off my feet. And then the most recent, which is, is airing this Thursday, was with Brent Hardman from Powell. Mm -hmm. Never before did I think I could be passionate about bleach or bleach technologies. But after talking with this guy, he started at this company 24 years ago as an intern. Uh. He's now the CEO. He bought into the company when the owner passed away with two partners. And God, just listening to this guy, it's so down to earth. And the things that he's tried and failed at and then succeeded. And the one thing that stood out to me, and then I'll stop talking because I could go on and on about him. <laughs> the owner gave him and the team permission to fail. And that really, really moved me. And because he did that, he gave them the opportunity to succeed in even bigger ways. And so I would say, yes, 
I felt different after finishing those podcasts. Like this energy inside of me was, was so high, like this high vibration that I had to go back and re-listen to the episode immediately after we were done. And then again, after I get it back from my developer, you know, and it's all formatted and, and pretty, I had to listen to it again when I was out, like, I call it running on purpose because I'm not really a runner. <laughs> and the other day, and I just got even more excited all over again. So that's awesome. You said permission to fail. I think when some people hear that, it freaks them out. How should you think about giving people permission to fail? Are there boundaries? How do you give guidance on that? That is a great question. From my experience, I would say, and you know, it's funny, Tim Reflake is another voice on LinkedIn that I absolutely admire. He's a sage well of wisdom when it comes to sales and selling wholeheartedly. And he said, encourage your salespeople to fail at least once every day. Mm. And I think the minute you encourage someone to fail, and I don't know about the boundaries. I don't know that you're going to encourage your team like, hey, see if you can go waste a million dollars. You know, I don't think. (laughs) But I think if you simply say, hey, what if you, you, you guys have been talking about creating this new program for our customers. We've never done it before. Feels scary, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, it could fail. We could fall flat on our face. We could look dumb. We could lose some money. Okay. Will we go under? No. Will you be able to recover the next day on the next phone call? Probably. Will your ego be bruised and will it, will it heal? Yes. Okay, go fail. Go try it. I think that's, I think if we, if we, transposed, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, the word fail with try, with fearlessly. So I I write about that a lot, fear dash less. So the more you can follow that, I think you will try more and I think you'll succeed a lot more, a lot more than you would if you just, I'll try it, but I'm, but I'm fearful. Yeah. So using that definition, you kind of outlined there, what's been your favorite failure? Oh, gosh. I think my favorite failure was holding on to a business model for felt that was no longer serving us or our customers. Holding on to uh, a relationship with a beloved creative partner that I think had run its course and I couldn't see it. And so quite honestly, the universe, this is going to sound crazy to some people and and kind of woo woo, but sent me a message and said, you're going to have a hard time getting new business until you get a clue and you make some changes and you're going to struggle. And so I did. And it was the hardest, this was two and a half years ago. Hardest year, I think, of my life, other than this year, which has been the worst, best year ever for other reasons. So, and once I made that big shift and jumped, the net appeared out of nowhere and the business came back again and it was new business. 
and it was this different model. And gosh, I learned so much. I learned to be more fearless and to not get stuck. If something feels like it's not working, it's not working. Mm. And you need to make an adjustment. Mm. So let me try to understand your transformation. Aside from the partnership, did you go from more of a creative-driven to more of a strategic results-driven organization? It, was that the, the business model shift? I, I think you were more on the, the design side of things. Is that, would that be a correct characterization? That would be the first shift that we made, okay. I think, about 10 years ago. Okay. We is definitely more into a strategic role because that's what we were doing for our clients. And we had to have that realization that we had outgrown just being a design firm and we had morphed into a marketing agency, strategic consultancy, if you will. This latest shift was really, I think, about my business model. I personally was married to this idea of this location where we were and and that that was part of our identity and the team that I had and how we ran the business. And so when I let go of being at that location all the time and started working from my home office more, made my team virtual, it was crazy how the freedom that came from that and the realization that our identity wasn't in those things. It was in the work that we do and the relationships that we build. And I think the courageous conversations that we, you know, that we tee up and the energy that we bring and the transformation that we help our customers achieve. So it was really letting go of what I believed I don't know, maybe what it looked like and really just leaning into the depth and what it really was. Does that make sense? I think so. I, I definitely think so. Now, going forward, how do you think what you're doing now is going to evolve? Interesting question. I believe that chapter three is going to include a best-selling book, is going to include coaching other business owners that are manufacturers, that are in charge of marketing, that are looking to, I think, really become more fearless and to take that next step. And I think really have a breakthrough. and. I think the other facet of this coaching and writing will be digital courses. We're already in the works creating something for small manufacturers to help themselves to to market for themselves when you feel like, gosh, I know I need to do these things, but I can't really afford an agency. And so that's going to be our starting point is, I guess, really coaching, teaching, strategic advising. So that's, that's what I see on the, on the horizon. Yeah. So what are the, let's say someone's listening to us, they have a manufacturing organization and they think their marketing is pretty good, but what are the signs that their marketing may not be as good as they think it is? Wow. That's a loaded question. 
are many ways to tell. One is to take a look at how well you know the customers that you're serving now. When was the last time you did a voice of customer survey? Did, have you ever done one? Or are you relying on, well, we think we know. Because I can tell you wholeheartedly 100,000%. And this is coming from my buddy, Mark Roberts, who everyone should look up on LinkedIn as well, from OTB Solutions. I guess the latest statistic is that like 60% of salespeople don't know how to sell digitally. And most manufacturers are doing nothing to train them to pivot to sell digitally. So I think being aware of what is actually happening inside your organization currently, like is your culture healthy? Do a culture check. Are people happy to work there? And what kind of growth are you experiencing? Are are you just looking for return on uh, investment? Or are you also looking for return on innovation and return on influence? So I call that ROI cubed. And the reason that I think taking a good look at that is that if you're only seeking one, you're missing out on the other two thirds, which are really important. So if you're not getting a return on innovation, you're not evolving your products. You're not evolving. You're not doing anything new to surprise and delight people, right? To give them something they didn't know they needed. And if you're not seeing a return on influence, that means you're not measuring it, first of all, because what gets measured gets done. And most manufacturers that we see are not actively engaging in a connected marketing system, a connected experience for customers that supports sales growth. So if you still are siloed with sales and marketing, you are in need of a retrofit, right? It's time to regroup and really take a look at that. And I think the other thing that is real obvious is when you take a look at all the different customer touch points that are available, the reason we created this periodic table of customer touch points, and I can share it with people that you can use it on your own. If you lay your brand over that, how many touch points are activated? Meaning are you where, how many places are you where your customers are? And how many of those are optimized, meaning working well for you? And then let's take a look at how many are dormant, untouched. That is a clear indicator of your signal strength, how loud you are and how meaningful it is. How are people engaging with you? Are they sharing? Is anything you're talking about shareworthy? That's another indication of how well you're resonating with people. And and I think the other thing is how well do you are you using your voice? Are you still relying on an old outdated mission statement that doesn't mean anything to anybody? Or can you look at your team and say, what's our unique value proposition? What do we bring to the table? And they can tell you on a dime because it's one sentence. It's so simple. And then can your customers tell you, what do they love about you? Well, we love, we love so-and-so because they make it easy. We love so-and-so because they make They make coatings fun, (laughs) right? But it's a differentiator. So 
I think bottom line, and sorry, that was a lot of, of answer. <laughs> I answer in, in paragraphs, not sentences. I would say, are you the challenger, the rival, or the leader? Mm. And if you're not the leader, why? Mm. Yeah, those are, those are good questions, definitely. Now, given, let's see, given what you know now, if you had to go back and give some advice to your younger self, what would you pass on? <sighs> Holy cow. <laughs> Besides wear sunscreen and take care of your skin, <laughs> it would be, it would be, Learn to meditate at a young age and learn to love yourself and look inward for happiness, not outward. And the reason that this, that I would give myself this advice is it's what I've learned to help my clients with. It's so crazy how the intersection happens is marketing starts on the inside. And if you don't have clarity within and you're seeking success, results, happiness outside, you're doing it backwards. So start from within and make sure it's a continuous loop, if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I, I'm a weirdo. I liken everything back to Mark. <laughs> I would say learn to love yourself. Very cool. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Gosh, no, I would just say, keep using your voice, keep doing things that scare you and keep living out loud because the conversation is happening with or without you. So why not lead it fearlessly? And thank you to people like you who are making such a huge difference, who are making this world a better place and not just in manufacturing, but in general. And I mean that wholeheartedly. I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate you having me on here. Well, I, I appreciate you as well. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.